Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Rick Sweet and this is the 469th show of ROI. Our guest for today's show is Dr. Valerie Truet, professor in the Laboratory of Tree Ring Research at the University of Arizona, who is going to be talking with us about her book, Tree Story, The History of the World Written in Rings. The history bus for today's show are Brett Menard and Ed Broders. The show's theme song is Kayla's Theme, written and performed by Mark Zapdel. Our producer and engineer, as always, is Dave Baker. To begin with, welcome to the show, Valerie. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're just delighted to have you here today. We call this first segment Farouk Dinarin, and our goal is to give our listeners a little background on today's subject. So can you start us off with some basic information on the history of, of tree ring study? For sure. So I'm a professor in the Laboratory of Tree Ring Research, which is housed here, uh, as you mentioned, at the University of Arizona. And we're in southern Arizona in Tucson. And so for many people, it might um, seem a bit counterintuitive to start a laboratory of tree ring research in the middle of the desert where there's no trees, right? Um, But the reason why we're located here is that the very first tree ring scientist or dendrochronologist, um, A.E. Douglas, uh, was originally an astronomer. And that's why he came to Tucson, because for astronomy, it's quite a logical place, you know, clear skies um, to look at at the stars. But so Douglas, and we're talking in the early 20th century, uh, was interested in solar cycles, so in in the variability of of the sun. And one day he decided to look at the rings and trees to see whether they could tell us something about how the sun changes over time. Um, Because he figured that trees, you know, they form rings every year, Trees also are sensitive to to the sun, so he thought that maybe the rings in old trees could tell us something about how the sun has changed over time. Now, the the, the link between tree rings and the sun is something that we're still trying to figure out a century later. But in the meantime, um, we have discovered as, as a field that dendrochronology can tell us a whole lot about very many things, both about the climate of the past, so how uh, wide or narrow the rings and trees are to a large extent depends on how wet or how dry a certain year was. Um, but they can also tell us about um, the date of archaeological sites or the date of art historical pieces or of musical instruments and so forth. So over the past century, since Douglas kind of invented the field of endocrinology, we have made a lot of progress and a lot of discoveries in very many uh, fields of science. And, And that's what the book that I wrote is about. Well, I, it brings up the, uh, the thought, uh, you know, I, I read a uh, review and then read a synopsis of your book, and I was just curious, being in Arizona, uh, what is your personal appeal to studying tree rings? Why, why do you devote your, your uh, academic life to this? 
Uh, thanks for asking that. So myself, I'm a dendroclimatologist, which means that I use the rings and trees to study the climate of the past. And our studies, we focus them mostly on the past 2,000 years. So we're to some extent limited by how old trees uh, can be. So we, we mostly study the climate of the past 2,000 years. And that's a really interesting period because that's also when we know most about human history, right? It's when, when our human history is, is, is well documented, relatively speaking. So one of the things that I find really fascinating about tree rings is that we can not only use them to study the climate of the past, and we can use them to study um, uh, human history as well through archaeology and, and art history, but we can also use them to study the link between the two, the link between climate history and human history. And that's when it gets really interesting. And then the third aspect we can study with tree rings is obviously ecology and forests and forest fires, for instance. And so you can then also um, look at link forest history to climate history to human history. So there's a lot a lot to discover and to study. It, it never gets boring. That's what I like um, about dendrochronology. Perfect, perfect. Well, we have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. The KALA website is your one-stop spot to find out more about your favorite radio station. Submit a public service announcement, catch up on news about KALA, and listening to any of our three stations, 885-1061 or The Stinger, is just a click away. Visit KALAFM.org. That's KALAFM.org. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Rick Sweet, and this is the second segment of the show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Dr. Valerie Truot. Truet, sorry about that, professor in the Laboratory of Tree Ring Research at the University of Arizona, and we're talking about tree story, the history of the world written in rings. Our history buffs for today's show are Brett Menard and Ed Broders. Ed, why don't you start us off? Thanks, Rick. Um, Valerie, we know um, that we can... um, gauge the age of a tree and also somewhat the growing conditions by the width of the rings. Um, What else do the rings tell us? Can they tell us anything about atmospheric conditions, about when this tissue was laid down? Yes, that's a great question as well. Um, I could talk a whole hour just about all the things we can learn uh, from the rings and trees. But in terms of the climate, um, there's there's really two main factors that we study. One is um, drought of the past, so how um, hot or dry it was, and that we do studying uh, the trees in dry places. It's kind of logical. So where I live in Tucson, Arizona, a very dry environment, the trees here and their growth 
is going to depend on how much water they have. They don't really care about how hot or cold it gets. They care about how much water they have. So we use the trees in, in dry environments like here to look at, um, for instance, uh, how dry it was when the uh, ancient Pueblo in Mesa uh, Verde uh, uh, was built, for instance. On the other hand, we can go to cold places like Alaska or um, Siberia or the European Alps. And if we look at the rings and trees there, they don't really have the problem of not having enough water. They have the problem of it not always being warm enough for them. So those trees tell us what the temperature was like in the past, more so than how hot or, or how wet or dry it was. So so we use different trees to study different aspects of the climate. And then there's other things that we can study. We can um, look at trees on the Florida Keys, for instance, to study past hurricanes. We can look at the scars and trees that were that happened because of wildfires. So we can study wildfires of the past. We can study volcanic eruptions of the past. We can study earthquakes of the past. Any problem, natural hazard that you can think of, we can probably study it if we select the right trees to do so. Okay, Brett, do you have a question? In fact, I do. Valerie, do do you... um, kind of build up a database, then cross-reference and work your way back? Or can I give you any piece of wood absent context and you're able to date it? That's a, that's a great question. So, yeah. So, we've been, the field of dendrochronology is about a century old. So, we've been developing these tree ring records for more than a century. And we're quite a social group of scientists so we share we have a a publicly available database the international tree ring database that has more than 4,000 tree ring chronologies in there mostly in the northern hemisphere I should say but but pretty much worldwide and so if you give me a piece of wood and you want me to date it there's depending on where the wood came from and especially what tree species, what kind of wood it is, um, I might be able to date it. Uh, some, some uh, for instance, you know, uh, here in the, in the American Southwest, we have so many treeing chronologies because we've been working here for so long that you give me a piece of wood from really pretty much any point in time over the past 2,000 years, I'll probably be able to date it. There's other areas um, that are less well represented um, or that are more difficult to date. But so, yeah, we are able to date by looking, by as you mentioned, by comparing the pattern in the rings that we see in the piece of wood that you give me to some reference chronologies that we've been building up uh, over the past decades. Okay, Valerie, uh, could you give us a thumbnail sketch of the process you went through to to write your uh, research and write write your book? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, so I wrote this book in 2017 and 2018, and in I was on sabbatical in 2017, and I was 
two months into my sabbatical when out of the blue I got an email from uh, my editor who ended up being my editor at Johns Hopkins University Press who asked me whether I was interested in writing a broad audience book about dendrochronology. And my first reaction when I read her email was like, oh, surely that book has been written because it's someone else has written such a book already because it's such a tangible science, right? We're, we're working with wood, with trees, with, with a concept that most people are familiar with. Like most people know that trees form a ring every year and that by looking at um, those rings, you can, you can tell by counting them, you can tell how old a tree is. But not many people know all of the other discoveries that we made based on that fairly straightforward concept. Anyway, when I started thinking about it, I realized that actually that doesn't exist. A, a book written for the broad audience about our field of science. Um, and so then I, I said yes, because uh, I was on sabbatical. If ever I was going to write that book, uh, 2017 was going to be the time to do it. And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the process of, of, of writing about this field that I'm, that I'm quite uh, passionate about. And then I must admit, it was a long process. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you sure. know, you write a first draft, and then there's endless rounds of edits. Uh, but eventually, I mean, the, the, good, the good thing about the edits is every time someone sends you edits, the, the book gets better and better. Like, you do see it improving. So um, finally, it got published in 2020, uh, unfortunately, right at the start of the pandemic. Uh, and now, actually, next week, the uh, uh, paperback copy is coming out. Cool. Good, good. Uh, Ed, you have a question? Yeah, thanks, Rick. Um, Valerie, uh, some of us are acquainted with the carbon isotope um, half-life science, um, but I read a review of the book, and you also write, I believe, about oxygen and nitrogen isotopes as part of the aging process. Um, can you expand on that a little bit for us? Yes. So nitrogen is a little more difficult in tree rings because it moves around between the rings. So we don't use that as much, but oxygen for sure. So like uh, carbon and radiocarbon, oxygen also has isotopes, lighter and heavier isotopes. And so the trees take up oxygen when they're photosynthesizing and they incorporate it in their wood as they're growing. And so the ratio of the two types of oxygen and, and of the two types of carbon uh, in the wood can tell us about the circumstances and the climate uh, that the trees were growing in when they put down that wood. So it's an additional, other than just looking at the width of the rings, you can also measure the oxygen or the carbon content of the, of the rings, and it tells you something else about the environment that the trees grew in in the past. Okay, Brett. So how do people get involved in this uh, field? Is this some something where a lot of your undergrads have a background in science or in archaeology or, or what kind of draws people into the field? Oh, very good question. I can, for myself, I can speak for myself. It was 
very random and haphazard, and I think that's the case for very many people. Um, so I had never heard about dendrochronology before I started. With me, it, it started when I did my master's thesis. Um, but then once I had taken the samples, and especially once I started looking at them under a microscope, then that's when I really got hooked because I, I don't know if either of you has, has looked at wood under a microscope, but I can highly recommend it. It's very beautiful. It, it's a very beautiful, obviously natural material to work with. And then the process that we use to date the wood that's the, called cross-dating, it's like solving a puzzle. It really is, you know, so you're looking through a microscope at this beautiful material, you're you're solving a puzzle, and I could just do it hours on end. And that's when I really thought this is what I, this is what I want to be doing. Um, and I think that's so. Here at the University of Arizona, we we have a laboratory. We are a department of our own, so we have ten, more than ten faculty, or all professors in training science. But that is rare. We're we're the only one worldwide that is that its own department like that. So in many other universities. There are individual professors who are dendrochronologists, and they indeed often hire undergrads. Of undergrads work in their lab, uh, do some of the the cross dating that I was talking about, and and people get excited about that. And and there's so many areas that you can apply this work to, whether you're a forestry student or an archaeology student, like you mentioned, or whether you're interested in climate change or in ge- geography. We get students from all of those fields uh, in our lab here. Valerie, uh, t- talking about your entry into the field, what what has been your uh, most exciting finding in uh, your research in dendrochronology? Oh, very good question. Um, I think the most exciting one is w- w- study we did in 2016 where we uh, had sampled pine trees on the Florida Keys, and we had found that they, their growth tells us something about hurricanes. So we were able to uh, uh, study the hurricanes of the past, over the past 300 years, using those pine trees. But then we figured out that we can also use uh, shipwreck data. So not the wood from shipwrecks, but actually the number of ships that wrecked every year in the past. There's very good documentary data about that. So we can also use those to study uh, hurricanes of the past because hurricanes were the main reason why these ships wrecked. And so by putting the triggering record and the hurry, uh, sorry, and the shipwreck record together, we, we put together a 500-year-long record of when hurricanes happened uh, in the Florida Keys, and that was, that was really exciting to see. Cool, cool. Ed? Yeah, um, following up on that, um, how are tree rings from a tree that went through a hurricane, uh, what's the difference in the rings that you see um, compared to the rest of that tree's life? Yeah, thanks for asking. That's a good question. There's a, there's a few ways. One way is uh, what, what you asked before about the oxygen, uh, sorry, yeah, the oxygen isotopes. That's one way because the, the, the rainfall 
from hurricanes and tropical storms, because the rain falls faster from those storms, the, the oxygen isotope content is different. So the oxygen isotope content that comes from hurricane rainfall is different and is recorded differently in the trees. Now, for this study, we didn't use that technique. I just wanted to go back to what you asked earlier. Um, we looked at, it, it's kind of a growth response. So when a hurricane, you know, on the Florida Keys, it's very susceptible to hurricanes. When a hurricane hits these trees, the ones that survive, they survive, but they lose branches and they lose all of their leaves. And because of that, when they lose their leaves, they cannot photosynthesize. So they cannot build any more wood in that in the year that the hurricane happened so you see a very narrow ring in the year of a hurricane and then also a few years following while the trees are recovering from those hurricanes it's a it's a distinct signal um that you see and that you can use to to study when hurricanes happen in the past brett do you have a question yeah so do other um, researchers, like archaeologists, uh, tend to call you in to consult on certain projects or um, send you samples, or would there be a dendrochronologist as part of a team uh, looking at a certain site? Yeah, yeah. So, so as I mentioned, I'm not a dendroarchaeologist. I'm a dendroclimatologist, but very many of my colleagues, especially in Europe, actually, they have government positions, they're government dendroarchaeologists. So when there is an archaeological site and they need someone to date the wood uh, of that site that's being uh, dug out, they, they go to, to those, uh, those people. And here in, in, in the treating lab here in uh, Arizona, a couple of my colleagues are uh, archaeologists. Um, and then what I mentioned, what you asked in terms of whether they call me and then to, to discuss results, I actually just, I, I was, uh, the meeting I had before this was with two of my archaeology uh, colleagues who are looking at um, the wood from pile dwellings in Europe. So from, you know, the Bronze Age pile dwellings in, in, the, in southeastern Europe, they are doing the dating of that wood. Uh, but they were also interested in understanding what the climate was like at the time when those pile dwellings were built. We're talking, you know, 4,000, 5,000 years ago. And that's where I come in with my expertise about the climate. And this is exactly what I was talking about in the beginning, where it's so exciting that I, I get to not only study the climate of the past, but also how it has influenced um, humans of the past and forests of the past and ecosystems of the past. Valerie, it is customary that we give our guests the last word on our show. So why do you think knowing about dendrochronology and climatology and the aging climate change is relevant in today's world? Yeah, I, I, you know, as I was, it was going to be my next sentence. As I was saying, understanding the link between human history and climate history and ecosystem history, this is exactly what we're interested in moving forward in a future climate as well. We're not just interested in how the climate is going to change, but especially how is that going to impact us? 
How does that impact human society? How does that impact ecosystems? And so looking at the combination of those factors in the past tells us a lot about what will happen in the future as well. Perfect. perfect. Well, when we come back, we will wrap things up. So please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. If you're wondering how you can find KALA without a radio, listen up. We're on TuneIn.com. Go online anytime for streaming of both KALA HD1 and HD2. This concludes our 469th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme and was written and performed by Mark Zepp Zapital. My name is Rick Sweet, and we would like to thank our guest, Dr. Valerie Truet, professor in the Laboratory of Tree Ring Research at the University of Arizona, who talked with us about her book, Tree Story. The History of the World Written in Rings. The history buffs for today's show were Brett Menard and Ed Broders. This is ROI Relevant or Irrelevant on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Kota Pula Nala, Peace, Reign, and Prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible for fortune tellers. Good night.